Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to continue tonight um, on our fourth sermon uh, in our uh, series through Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. And tonight we're going to talk about the place of prayer in our story. Uh, the place of prayer uh, in our story. And um, hopefully you've been helped kind of by this study. And if you're reading the book, I'm sure it's going to be a lot more helpful to you. Um, uh, he just has a lot of stories that I think very uh, well illustrate um, what he is, is talking about. And I think one of the things that we, uh, that he's taught me the most is that, um, is what we're going to talk about tonight. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us. So let's pray together one more time and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for tonight. Um, we rejoice, Father, uh, that you love us so and that we know that because the Bible has told us so. What greater confirmation do we need, Lord, than words from your own mouth? That you love us, but you've given it to us in the man named Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for our sins, who is risen from the dead for our hope, who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who shall one day return and make all things new. And Lord, I just pray that we would eagerly await that hope and that we would prayerfully await that hope as you are writing our stories in this world. I pray, Lord that our stories would count, that they would make a difference, and that we would be willing, Lord, to, to go through whatever you call us to in order to fulfill your plan for our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be flipping just a few places in the story of Joseph, and um, I'm assuming most of you will know the story of Joseph, but that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, I want you to think about prayer for a little bit. Often, it's very easy in this day and age to fall into the temptation to treat God functionally like a cosmic vending machine. You put in your 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 quarter, as it were, of church attendance or Bible study or prayer or a little bit of money in the offering plate, you, you put that into the cosmic vending machine and then um, it's like putting in a quarter and we're expecting God to pop something back out. In other words, spiritual life and prayer can be viewed often like a transaction. Um, but in reality, uh, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> Life with God, relationship with God, and, and including our prayer is not a transaction. It's not um, you pop in a quarter and then something else pops out. What We have to have categories in our Christian mind and understanding for things like unanswered prayer. We have to have a category in our Christian understanding for things like prayer that God answers 30 years after we pray it. We have to have a category for that kind of thing or we're going to misunderstand God and be disillusioned 
with the faith. Prayer is more than interaction with a cosmic vending machine. It is a conversation with an all-wise, all-knowing, all-good, all-loving, omnipotent being. A God who delights to hear his children, but a God who also has plans and purposes for his children that are greater and wiser than they could imagine for themselves. Purposes that at times may indeed be contrary to what that child may want, but God purposes it anyways because he knows what's best. So what if delays are part of God's plan? What if in your praying, uh, what what you're praying in God's purposes has just as much to do with his plan for you as much as your plan, uh, as much as your plan for yourself, God, God's, uh, your praying is part of God's plan for you in working out His purposes for you, and so that's what I want to talk about tonight. And so we're going to read from several passages in Genesis. I just want you to follow along with me. Uh, you. Uh, I think most of you know the the general story of Joseph. Joseph was the son of uh, Israel, of Jacob. And um, he was the favorite. He was the firstborn child of his favorite wife, Rachel. And uh, he was a dreamer. He had dreams that all his brothers and and father and mothers would one day bow down to him, and his brothers didn't like that. His dad had him a, a coat of many colors made for him and sent him one day to go find his brothers. And this is what happens in Genesis 37, verse 18. It says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit where uh, here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers... They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, I want you to consider Joseph for a minute. So consider that you're there... Your brothers have attacked you. You know that they want to kill you, but then they decide not to. And then a couple of your brothers have a flash of conscience, if that's what you want to call it, and they end up selling you into slavery for a handful of silver instead. 
Now you are in chains walking into Egypt for, as far as you know, lifelong slavery. How do you pray? How do you pray? Do you pray for your brothers? How do you pray for them? Do you pray for their slow and painful deaths? For vengeance, for retribution? Now, of course, we don't know for sure how Joseph prayed or even if he prayed, although I think he did. We don't know how he felt towards his brothers for sure, but we do know this. We do know that over time, whatever Joseph was feeling at that moment, over time, God changed Joseph's perspective. And we know that for a fact. In Genesis chapter 50. Why don't you turn there with me quickly. The Genesis chapter 50. Verse 15. If you remember the story. The way it plays out is. Joseph delivers all his brothers from certain death. Because of famine in the land. And he brings his whole family down into Egypt. And his, his, his father, Jacob's still alive. And after his father dies, all of a sudden his brothers get really scared that since now his father's dead, Joseph's going to kill him. This is what happened. It says, verse 15, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to, them, did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers for their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, and for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So what happened? They are afraid that Joseph is going to kill them, but then... When they brought this message to them, to him about not killing their brothers, it says that Joseph wept. Why did Joseph weep? Well, I think he wept because after all that had happened, after all the years had passed, he wept because he loved them and they didn't believe it. He loved them and they didn't trust. You ever, have you ever loved someone who didn't think that you loved them? It hurts. And, but Joseph, his heart changed towards his brothers. It's apparent that despite all that had happened to him, he had come to terms with it. In fact, more than just come to terms with it, he embraced it that it was God's plan for his life. And I just can't help but think that The way that happened, in large part, came through prayer. Some people say that prayer doesn't change things, it changes us. Well, that's it's a false dichotomy. 
Prayer changes things and it changes us. But I do think sometimes we often miss how desperately we need changing in the midst of our prayers. And prayer, prayer does change us. And uh, th- there's, this is at least one way in which prayer changes us. I want you to think about this. Maybe, um, maybe you have a, a loved one in your life and maybe they have made decisions that have wounded you and hurt you and... And you go vent to some other people about them, uh, and then, and then somehow you realize that they they were they heard about it. <laughs> you say things, you say things to other people about other people <laughs> that you would never say to that person's face. In other words, in the presence of somebody, you tend to be more weighed and careful. In what you say, and you you tend to think more carefully about what you say to to actually consider in a way whether you're going to be willing to stand behind what you're about to say. Whereas we don't take that kind of care when that person's not there. Well, think about it. Prayer is the same thing. There are things that we complain about all the time, but when you pray, you'll never pray and complain to God about it. Because we can complain about things. Here, but when you stand in the presence of God, your perspective changes. And you would feel silly saying to God some of the things that we just said out loud. It would sound ridiculous. Prayer changes things because when you enter into the presence of God, it gives you a reality check. I can imagine... As Joseph is walking in his chains on his way to Egypt, and the life as he knew it is just vanishing before his eyes, I can just hear him saying, I can hear him being angry and bitter at his brothers, but I believe, and I think it's clear, God, God is working. Joseph was proud. Joseph was arrogant. And I can hear Joseph in his, not that anything that he did deserved what his brothers did to him, but I can just see him walking in his chains on the way to Egypt saying, why was I so proud? Why did I embrace and just brag about being my father's favorite son? Why did I hang it over my brother's heads? Why was I a jerk to them? Why did I rub it in their faces? And in that moment, when we come to face to face with God, it changes our perspective about our situations. And oftentimes we're praying about our situations to God. And as we're praying to God, God just lifts up a mirror. And says, look. Prayer, prayer changes you, but it also changes the way that you, you look at the other person. All of a sudden you see you see things differently. You see things from a different perspective. Jesus taught about this all the time. Jesus told a parable about a man who, you know, I'll just paraphrase, he owed the king a billion dollars. 
and the king forgave him of his debt. And then he goes to a friend, and a friend owes him ten bucks. And he chokes him out for ten bucks after he'd just been forgiven a billion dollars. And the, Jesus' point of the parable is this. How, what's wrong with you? You see, getting in the presence of God changes us. It helps us view reality more accurately. If God can treat us one way, how can we not treat others that same way? And sometimes when we, sometimes the reason we get so angry with other people is because we're trying to change them and they won't change and it's their fault. <laughs> the problem is, is that you, the one thing you didn't try to do yet to change them is go to the one who actually could change them. And finally, finally, when you bring it to the one who could change them, first, the thing that he does is he changes you. And then, often in his grace, he changes them. So, prayer... First, it changes us. The next thing I want us to see is that prayer connects hope with reality. Prayer connects hope with reality. Turn back to ver uh, chapter 39. <clears throat> chapter 39. When Joseph was sold into slavery, he was sold to an Egyptian official, uh, captain of the guard named Potiphar. And this is what, this is what happens. Uh, Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from that time or from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So think about Joseph. I think it would be fair to say that Joseph had lots of hopes for his life. He was his dad's favorite, and that day and age, that was pretty much the fast track to blessing. Especially if your father was rich, and they were. He was, the, he was the daddy's favorite. But his hopes were dashed upon the cold, hard, jagged rocks of Egyptian slavery. Now notice, I think it's clear from this passage that Joseph didn't do what lots of us would do, and that is give in to despair. Why? Because he worked hard. Who would work hard after being sold into slavery? Joseph did. He had hopes, and his hopes were dashed by reality. You know, there are times in life when you have hopes for things, you have hopes for life, you have, you have hopes, and then you realize that reality doesn't match your hopes. And there are different ways that we, we try to deal with that. One of, the, one of the ways we try to deal when, when our hopes are up here and our realities down here, one of the ways we try to deal with that, at least initially, is denial. What is denial? Well, as Joseph learned, it's not just a river in Egypt. See what I did there? 
Um, what is denial? You refuse to face it. Some of y'all just got that. Um, denial is that you refuse to face it. You ignore it. You pretend that it's not really happening. The problem with denial is that it can't last long because reality is too strong to ignore. It presses in on you, and you can't ignore it. And then after denial, oftentimes what happens is that we move from denial to determination. We decide to grab our own bootstraps and pull ourselves up no matter what it takes. We pull every string we have. We work and work and work, just certain that if we try hard enough, we can make reality match our hopes again. But then oftentimes what happens is that our determination meets dead end after dead end. And then what happens is despair. Despair is giving up on moving our reality up to one's hope, so it moves our hope down to one's reality. That is, it loses hope altogether. But when we read the story of Joseph, what do we see? Is that we don't really get the sense of denial or determination, really, or despair. He accepted his status as a slave, but it didn't crush his spirit. We know that because if it had crushed his spirit, he would have done like most of us would have done and said, you know what, God, forget you. But that's not what Joseph did. He served his master faithfully out of fear of God. He accepted his reality as a slave, but... The only way that he could serve his master hard, work hard, but also do so with a pure heart and not give in to despair, the only way he could do that, I believe, is because he still had hope. He still had hope that God was with him, that God was for him, that if he continued to believe and trust and obey, that God would work. In his life, even if he couldn't see how. You remember, none of this happens in a vacuum. Who was Joseph? Joseph was Abraham's great grandson. He was Isaac's grandson. He was Jacob's son. What was the promise? I will give this land to you, and it will be your home, and you will have offspring greater than the sand of the sea. And you will be my people, and I will be your God. In other words, Joseph had the promise. And not only that, but Joseph had also had these visions. These visions that what? That he would be a king. And as Joseph, he's, he's on his knees, and he's crying out, Why, why, why to God? And I believe God helped him remember the promise. You see, Joseph had the promise. He had these visions. Joseph and Israel, as the favorite son of the father, Joseph had everything in the world that he could want or need, except that he could want except for the one thing that he needed. And that is humility. You see, because the only people who are kings in God's eyes are the humble. In other words, God had a plan for Joseph's life, but you know what? Joseph wasn't ready for it. 
In other words, hear me now. In order to fulfill God, God's plan for Joseph's life to make him a king, he had to send him to Egypt. Because what did the suffering do? It made Joseph draw near to God. It made Joseph utterly dependent on God. It took him from the favorite son to a slave. And think about this. Think about how humbling this had to be to Joseph. No matter what he did, it didn't work out. He obeyed God. He did not lie with Potiphar's wife. He kept his integrity and where did it land him? In jail. Now, if some of us had enough integrity to serve Potiphar like Joseph did, now when that when we got thrown in prison, that's when we'd give up. What now, Lord? I've served you. I've been faithful to you. I honored you. I didn't sleep with this man's wife. And now look what you've done. But don't forget, prayer is not a transaction. Prayer is part of a story. God hadn't forgotten Joseph. In fact, where was Joseph? Exactly where God wanted him. And most of us, we know how the story ends. There's a baker, the cupbearer. He interprets their dreams. Later, Pharaoh has a dream. They call on Joseph. Joseph answers the dream. What happens to Joseph? He is seated at the right hand of power. He's made a king when he's ready for it. You see, prayer... It's not a transaction. It's just part of our story. What happens when we don't view prayer as part of a story? Well, think about Santa Claus for a minute. People, kids, you write a letter to Santa Claus, but you don't know Santa. You don't, you don't know what he's like. You don't know what his hobbies are. You don't, you don't know what he likes to do. You don't know. He's just in the North Pole. Okay, and he's just this nice guy with red cheeks, okay? And he doesn't know you. He's, he's a stranger to you. He, now, it's really creepy to think about he, he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. That's creepy, okay? But he doesn't really know you, okay? All Santa needs to know about you is his bare minimum legalistic requirements of whether or not you're going to get cold for Christmas. That's all Santa needs to know. But sometimes we treat God like Santa. Now think about this. Imagine Santa is not just Santa, but Santa's your dad. They made a movie about that, I think. Santa's your dad, and you ask Santa, a.k.a. dad, for a car. And what does Santa do? Santa comes home from the workshop the next day and says, Okay, son, you can have a car. You just got to get your tail in the elf shop and make some toys and earn some money so you can buy it. What has Santa done? Has he answered your your request? Yes. Just not the way you wanted it. 
Why? Because you don't know Santa. Santa doesn't know you, so you don't feel bad for just asking stuff completely out of the blue. But when Santa's your dad, you realize that your father cares a lot more about you than just giving you stuff. He cares about your character. Because when you work for that car, you're going to actually treat it with respect. You're going to take care of it. In other words, what's the point? Because God is our Father, He hears our pleas and He's interested in our pleas, but He's interested infinitely more than our character than just our raw requests for better circumstances. And it may be that God is delaying His answer to your prayer so that precisely when He does answer it, you won't ruin it, you won't blow it, you won't waste it. In other words, it may be that our working and our pleading and our praying to God over a long period of time is what actually makes it okay for God to answer our prayers when he chooses to do so. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. We have to. Joseph, he forgave his brothers. And what was the reason that he gave for the reason that, uh, that he gave to his brothers for how he forgave them? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In other words, he saw his life as a story, as a plan given by a wise God being played out. And it changed the way Joseph viewed his brothers and viewed his life. Prayer changes things. It, changed, it changes us. It changed Joseph. And I think it changed more than Joseph. <clears throat> There's an interesting part of the story. Uh, Joseph had a brother named Judah. It was Judah's idea to sell Joseph into slavery. It was Judah's idea. And I imagine, and I just imagine Joseph, as the Lord is dealing with him, maybe in God's grace, Joseph is praying for his brothers. But he, he, he may never know what's happening. And, and he, did, he had no idea what was going on in the life of his brothers. But we do know this, that by the time Joseph sees his brother again, Judah has changed. How do we know that? You remember the story? <clears throat> they come back one time, and then Joseph kind of tricks them, puts their money back in their sacks as they go back, and, and they told them about his brother, and they said, don't come back unless you bring Benjamin. And they don't, they don't go back because Jacob said, you can't take Benjamin from me or I'll die. But then they run out of food, so they have to go back. And they say, you have to send Benjamin with us or he won't give us food. So they take Benjamin back. 
and Joseph sees his brother because they have the same mother, and and they eat they eat together with him, and he gives them food, and they go back. And you remember what Joseph does? He puts his cup in Benjamin's bag to make it look like Benjamin stole his cup, and and he sends people after them, and. And when they find the cup in Benjamin's bag, the brothers panic because that means Benjamin is going to have to stay and that means Jacob's going to die when he hears the news that his son is gone because he didn't want to send him in the first place. Do you remember what happens? What happens? Judah comes and he says, take me. I beg you, take me instead of Benjamin. Take me, I will work, I will... The brother who sold Joseph into slavery years later is giving up his life for another brother. He's been changed. Judah's been changed. Prayer is part of a story. And you never know what God is doing. And he's working, and he's moving, and he's changing lives, and he's changing hearts. And all of our struggles are not purposeless. And if you remember the way the story plays out at the end, Jacob gives all his 12 sons a blessing. Do you remember Judah's blessing? You're the king. You're going to be the king. You're going to rule with an iron scepter. Which is why, of course, Jesus is descended from Judah. Our lives are part of a story. And when you look at at Joseph's story, we have to learn that all of our stories... It's not just a story. Our lives themselves are individually stories, but all of our stories are just threads in the tapestry of God's story. That is that our story just plays a small part in an infinitely larger story being written by God that we can't possibly fathom what our prayers are doing in the eternal scope of the world. Joseph's Joseph's life was not just fulfilling God's purpose, but Joseph's life was about Jesus, just like your life. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Why? Because Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. His own Jewish people handed over to the hands of the Gentiles. Jesus was thrown into the pit The prison of death, bound by darkness. But Jesus was lifted up from the pit to the right hand of power. Where he saves his brothers from their sin. Joseph's story is about Jesus. And so is yours. And so what do we do? We keep praying, knowing that God is working. He's working. He's acting. He's moving. And when we pray, it'll change us. 
and it'll change things. You see, the Bible says that all who are in Christ are kings, co-heirs with Christ, rulers of the world. And it will happen as we faithfully trust and obey him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today.